Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Diane Tavener to talk about how to prepare your teenager for college and for life. Diane is the author of the book, Prepared, What Kids Need for a Fulfilled Life. She's the co-founder and CEO of Summit Public Schools, which is a nationally recognized nonprofit public school network that has been included in America's Best High Schools list by U.S. News and World Report, America's Most Challenging High Schools by the Washington Post, and the world's top 10 most innovative companies in education by Fast Company. Her schools are consistently recognized, written about, and awarded as some of the most innovative and effective schools in the world. How is it that her schools are so much more effective than typical schools at preparing kids for college and for life? No matter what kind of school your child is in, Diane is going to talk about some simple daily habits that will have a dramatic impact on making your teenager better prepared for their future. We are so honored and excited to have Diane on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Talking to Teens. You uh, have a lot of experience in schools, uh, some schools that you have kind of built from the ground up, really, and getting to experiment with a total new way of education and a new way of thinking about how to how to really prepare kids for life. And it's really inspiring. It's cool. Can you talk a little bit about just how did this happen? Um, how did you get here and what inspired you to then turn it into a book? Wow. Well, thank you. I am grateful to be in conversation with you today. And um, it's always fun to reflect on the journey of how, how we got here. And honestly, it starts with my own education and what education meant to me. And, um, you know, I grew up in a home that wasn't terribly safe, um, both emotionally and physically. And um, in many cases, school was sort of my, my safe space in some cases, and often, and sometimes it wasn't. And so there's a real contrast there. Um, that said, education really enabled me to find my way out of that situation and sort of begin to make sense of myself. Um, so it was a real calling for me, um, you know, wanting to yeah. do, wanting to create that for other people, um, other or other kids like me um, and feeling like maybe I could do something more or better on that front um, given, given where so many people come from. So, so that's kind of how it, 
it began. <laughs> but you started to get kind of burnt out at one point, or you um, wrote in the book that there was kind of a point where you felt like maybe I don't even want to keep doing this. And um, this sort of beat down a little bit or something. For sure. I think that, you know, it came about five years in when I had sort of um, been able to build a classroom and relationships and good work directly with students, but I had also been there long enough to start to see a bigger system that just really wasn't working. And so many parts of it that were doing the opposite of what I wanted to do with students. And um, that can start to feel really heavy and oppressive and like, how, where do you even begin to solve this? Um, yeah. And so you know, those moments come for sure, where it can feel very overwhelming and, and a whole bunch of things come into play to keep going. <laughs> um, but uh, so fortunately, I did keep going. And um, that's where curiosity really comes into play. You know, this, this idea of like, being really curious about what's going on and what's not working, and then um, being curious about what might work better and how we might do it differently you then had the opportunity to sort of reinvent the system a little bit. It's an incredible opportunity. And it, it's interesting now, you know, fast forward 20 some years. And I think people now, it feels sort of normal that you could start a new school. I mean, yeah, I think we've right. got enough of that going that people are yeah. like, oh yeah, new school start. But honestly, 20 years ago, I thought it might be a once in a lifetime opportunity. I truly did not think this would be a thing that would keep happening. And, and, you know, I was pregnant <laughs> literally when I got this opportunity and for the first time, I didn't know what that would entail or what that would mean. And, you know, sort of logic said to me, I don't know, you probably shouldn't have a, a, your first child and start a school at the same moment, but you know, this might not come along, this, this opportunity might not come along again. And so, all right, here we go, let's do it. And <laughs> let's see what we can make of it. And so, you know, my son was born. And six weeks later, I started, I started our first school summit. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you, from the very beginning did things really differently at the school what was sort of like or I guess if, if you have to describe to people what is different about your school like how, how do you even begin to talk about that yeah I think as I reflect back on it um there was sort of one big design principle that we started out with and there was literally like five of us doing this right we're starting a high school there's five of us it's only 80 students, you know, okay. we're, we're bringing this thing into life. So it's a small group and um, everyone in the five is, is like a really has been a successful teacher. So someone who really connects with kids, you know, but deeply believes in teaching and, and yeah. felt like we weren't set up to be successful in our, in our schools. And so that was really our starting design principle. Like what would it look like if, great teachers were set up for success and wouldn't everything sort of fall into place after that, you know, because like great teachers want all of their students to be successful and to grow and to learn. And if we actually set teachers up for success, you're setting students up for success. So that's kind of how it started. That was like our design principle. 
Yeah. Um, and a couple key things grow from that. One, we knew we needed mentoring. We knew that in order to successfully learn, people have to have a relationship, to be connected, to have someone who sort of coaches and guides them. So that was that was a key pillar of what we were doing. Second, we really believe in learning that is hands-on and real world and authentic. You know, we, we are very clear that the science of learning tells us that people don't learn well when they're just like sitting in straight rows, quiet, passively taking in information, taking tests. So we wanted something really active in terms of the learning. And then three, we, we realized that we were preparing kids for college and life. And that meant that they had to take ownership. You know, they really had to drive their own learning and their journey and their development. And if you think about our schools, they're not designed to do that. They are designed. They're the the opposite, right? How do you comply? How do you follow directions? Like, how do you do what you're told? So, so I would say those are three big, you know, pillars of what makes our schools. Now there's multiple of them uh, different. Is there anything that has been surprising to you or that um, has really changed in the way you think about education or child development and kind of this experience? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many things. You know, I think that's another hallmark of the schools is that they're just continuously improving and evolving. They're never, they're never done. Okay. We figured it out. (laughs) Not Constantly learning, constantly growing. You know, I think probably the thing that I keep growing on like over and over and over again is, is that last piece of like having kids really take ownership of their, their own learning in their lives. And, you know, there's so much we've been conditioned into that you don't even know is there in in how you do things. And I think that's where I've made the most growth over time is like really changing how my interactions with students are and how we think about teaching and what the classroom experience looks like. And, you know, all of those pieces to go more and more and more towards their ownership and so much less about me, you know, so Uh, much of this can be about the adult. Well, that was like, I think a really interesting moment in your book. You talk about a conversation that you were having with one of your um, fellow teachers about a student who was really, um, falling behind and was on track to fail that that's one of the kind of principles that you set your school up on is that everyone would be able to graduate that you promise the parents that you'll get everyone through and so there's this student who's just for whatever reason you know not really working whatever is happening is not really working you said you like uh kind of got together with her and put together this list of what are all the things that we could possibly do. And then realized that like so much stuff on that list was about, you know, you doing things for him or about her doing things for him. This sort of realizing that that's not the answer that we need to help him take ownership for his own education, for his own future. And so what did you then ultimately do or how did you, how'd you do that? Yeah, that conversation is one of the most pivotal ones I've ever had in my life. Um, and I still work with Kelly Garcia, who is mm-hmm. that other educator in, yeah. in close partnership. And for both of us, it was so profound because we had that aha that you just you know recited, which is like, oh my gosh, we're doing everything. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. not going to help him. That's not. And 
we don't even know what's going on there and why he's not doing things. And so it really flipped the whole conversation to be like, well, first of all, go figure out what he wants, what matters to him, you know, what motivates him, you know, what's blocking him and then have him participate in building, you know, the way out of that. But, but the most interesting thing is before you even get to that place, you have to interrupt our thinking, which is pretty normal, where it's like, oh, well, that that kid didn't, didn't do what they were supposed to do. They're just going to fail. And like, that is a thing we do over and over and over again and yeah. with incredible consequences. And so one of the big lessons that comes out of that is this idea of revision and redemption. Okay. And that learning really is about, you know, trying something. Maybe it's not working the first time, getting some feedback, revising it, you know, and having the opportunity to redeem that that one time shot. You know, we, we generally give people one at bat in learning yeah. in America, which yeah, is yeah, crazy. Right. It doesn't make any sense. And so having a culture in the, in the learning environment that is all about that constantly revising and iterating and learning and growing. And, and you're starting to see a theme now between it's how we run the whole organization. It's how we think about our own journey and development and, and that for our kids as well. So you also had a conversation you talked about in this book um, with some friends of yours and um, they, they were kind of asking you, so, okay, well, we can't all just send our kids to your school. And what, how do we handle having our kids being in a, a regular school where they're bored, where they're being asked to do this homework that's just rote learning every night and they have hours of homework and they're not engaged. The teachers are not really doing any of this stuff that you're saying is so important at your school how do we sort of exist in this world uh, it seems like this is probably a conversation that you have a lot with parents i wonder what what do you say to that it's such a painful conversation and the the one you're reciting in the book was early on and it 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 literally like was a, a punch to the gut you know it was painful yeah. um and I continue to search for, for better and better answers to that um, conversation. Yeah. Certainly there's a whole discussion about like what we need to do as parents to ask for and advocate for the type of schools that work uh, for our kids. And, and yeah. you know, but I don't want to just leave it as sort of activism, as you will, because there's the reality of like my child's in front of me today. And right like, now. What do I yeah, do yeah, right yeah. now? And so, you know, on that front, I mean, this, this book in many ways is like a love letter to parents. It's like, here, here's some actual things that you can do as a parent. um, If you believe in these ideas and care about uh, this type of growth and development. And we've also, what I'm really happy to report now, I had only just begun this work in the book. I think it's, it's mentioned at the very end of it, but um, we, we have built a whole organization called prepared parents with this incredible website that has all of these tools that parents can use. They're all free in multiple languages. Um, And they really help parents take and translate the ideas from the book into pretty simple, 
daily type routines that take Uh, five or 10 minutes that you can use with your students that you just incorporate into your parenting um, that really advance these ideas we're talking about. And, And I'm really so like, proud of that work and the amazing people who, who have um, led that an incredible woman, Mira Brown really led that another incredible mom. Um, Because I do think those, those tools, those daily routines, and we can talk about a couple of them if you want are are at the heart of what it means to be a prepared parent. And they sort of start to shift the, the dynamic and move us away from these, this kind of old system way of thinking and into a more, productive way I think yeah I'd love to talk about some of those but I feel like you know well I'd love to address this also this kind of this idea that that we hear from a lot of parents and teachers that may hey maybe it's kind of good to have our kids be in this uh crappy system because that's how the world is you know and that's what everyone else is going through and it builds character and I went through this kind of school system and I turned out just fine and so did all the people I know they turned out fine they're good people so you know do we really need to be trying to change things we really need to be looking for a different way of doing things like what's wrong yeah, that conversation, and I have it a lot, makes me, it's so sad. Um, and two parts of it are really sad to me. The first part is, and you said the word that every single parent says in that conversation, fine. Yep. My child will be fine. I turned out fine. Yeah. And my question always is, are we really going to settle for fine? Is that the bar we want really? to as- as- like, that's aspire what gonna, to? That's yeah. what we're going to settle for is fine? I mean, uh, truly we can't. And, and that really is at the heart of, of the why uh, here is like, we can't even right now imagine something better. Like no, we can't yeah. even open our minds to think about what the world might be if kids weren't fine, but they were great. Yeah. You know, like what if, what if people had a great experience a really inspiring, incredible experience and like, yeah. what would be possible if that happened? And, you know, we are putting our own limits on ourselves if we can't even imagine what that would look like and then aspire and, and want it and drive towards it. And so those are, those are hard conversations to have, but I think really important conversations to have. Uh, I, for one, not satisfied with fine. I want more. I think we're all right there with you. And I wonder if you could talk about some of those um, strategies, some of those daily habits yeah. that you were talking about earlier. What are, what could that possibly even be or what could that possibly look like? One of the most popular ones we have, and it's so simple, is um, it's called check in and check out. And the idea is that um, five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, and there is literally as a, a parent and then with your children, you, you check in and, and checking in looks like, first of all, like I literally am intentionally checking into my life and my day in the morning, okay, yeah. you know, I'm going to set and, and everything I'm about to say will be very familiar to people who have meditation practices or yoga or, or intentional mm-hmm. or leadership. These are not new ideas, but these simple routine of in the morning, you know, checking in with yourself. So what this looks like 
if you know, I'm a mom, you're let's pretend you're my child and we're going to check in in the morning. And I say, you know, I'm going to check in with myself. How am I feeling this morning? Oh, I'm feeling optimistic or I'm feeling nervous or I'm feeling, you know, quick check-in about like what's going on. Um, as a parent, you're modeling sort of like that presence and that, um, honesty and vulnerability about what's coming in the day. Um, and then, and a, a bit of an intention. So what is my intention for the day? You know, what, what is one thing I want to have come out of the day? And then, I'm in. And what that means is like, I'm in, I'm present, I'm in life. Right. And then ask your child to do the same. It can be a routine, you know, around breakfast, driving to school, walking, whatever it is, five minutes. And then the idea is you circle back to it in the evening before as you end your day and you check out. And so this is more reflective now, whereas like how, you know, how was the day? What did I experience? That intention did I set? Did it come, did it come about? And like, what am I thinking about for tomorrow? And then we, you know, check out of that day for our rest before we check back in. I mean, so simple, so powerful. This, this practice of setting an intention and reflecting on it is one of the, the skills of really successful people. You know, this, this is what it means to own and drive your own life in a really simple way. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so much of the time we just like, don't do that we go days and we're so busy and we're too and we don't we just like suppress our feelings because um, we distract ourselves with our devices and our work and all the things we're stressed out about and we don't just take the time to really just check in with ourselves and and each other to model and each other in that relationship you know which it it can be yeah that you, you can go days and and realize, oh, I, I don't need, I don't actually know. And as a parent, what's interesting is when you do this as a practice, it feels a little bit weird at first, but then you okay. get into the routine of it, you know, and, and there's all kinds of places that you can take it. You know, you can start practicing more sort of adjectives to describe how you're feeling and getting really good at articulating your emotion is a very powerful skill to have. Um, And so there's like all different directions you can go, but most importantly, you're building a connection with your child, like a really authentic connection. And you're really listening to them. And one of the things that we hear most from teens, they don't feel like adults listen to them. And they have really incredible things to say if we pause and listen. And so making space for that regular routine, for that to come up, obviously some stuff will come up and then you'll want to follow up in deeper, you know, more. But if you're not even making a space for it to come up, you might miss it. We're here today with Diane Kavanagh talking about how to prepare your teen for college and for life. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. I asked the, the, what I now believe is like the worst question you can ask as a parent is how was school? Oh, right. It's like the worst question. How was school? And he was like, fine. Yeah. And of course, because that's the answer. And I said to him, you know, well, I got like frustrated. I was like, fine. Like, didn't something happen? Something had to happen, you know? And he just looked at me. He's like, mom, if you really want to talk to me, like, 
why don't you ask me about something that we both care about, but don't ask me to just sort of recite what happened in the day. That's not interesting to me or to you. I was like, oh, you're right. We as a society ask the dumbest questions of our kids, you know, the dumbest one being, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. which is so confining and boxes them in. It has them, it asks them to commit to something they don't even know or understand. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. My son was going to one of my schools and, um, you know, my, I was traveling this one week and my husband had sort of always helped with math. That was kind of his, his thing. And I got home and he was so frustrated, (laughs) so frustrated. And he, what I really quickly, he was not talking to me as the mother of his child or his wife. He was talking to me as, you know, the the person who's running his child's school. And he was like, I was trying to help with math homework and there's not a textbook. And I ended up having, you know, we had to go and like, look at these resources online because I couldn't exactly remember what it was. And, you know, we had to do that together. And then we were solving these problems and he was solving the problems and there's not like an answer key. So I don't know if they were right. And I was like, okay, well, he, he could find these resources and you were learning together and he was solving the problem. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty good to me so far. Like what happened? He said, well, we had this one question we didn't know. And I was like, okay, what happened? He says, well, he went to school and he talked to his teacher and some friends and like, he figured it out and he was able to do it. And I was like, okay, so what's the problem? It sounds all good to me. Like he's learning. And he's like, what I realized in that moment, it was his identity as a parent. Like he felt deeply uncomfortable that he didn't, he didn't know the answer. He didn't know how to help. He he sort of didn't have control over the situation. Yeah, and and right. he had a, this identity that was very tied up with how he had learned, what happened in his school, and like what he was supposed to do as a parent. And yeah. turning that over to my son, even if it meant he was really learning the math himself, not just yeah, doing a workshop. And learning just, how to learn it for exactly. himself and find the answers for himself. He was having a hard time seeing the beauty in that. And that that's actually what we want, you know, because of his own sort of being wrapped up in it. And, you know, this is a thing I think as parents that we constantly have to be, you know, coaching ourselves around and on guard of because we are wrapped up in our kids. Like they are our identity in so many ways. And so how do we, that comes in conflict when what the best thing for them is to allow them to grow and learn and take control and, and, and develop and, and be the drivers of their own, you know, sort of lives. And so we got to do a lot of checking of ourselves around that. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.